This is an audio sermon recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ in Alma, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and truth according to the New Testament. We would love for you to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1808 Highway 71 North in Alma, Arkansas. I want to say first of all how thankful we are to the congregation here at Alma for giving us this uh, opportunity to be here to share with you in, in this weekend of fellowship. It's not uh, just, uh, just a meeting, it's a fellowship and uh, to enjoy the richness of our relationships with each other uh, in Jesus Christ. And uh, on behalf of those of us from Wheeler Avenue, we're thankful for that and for the, the, the time that we have to spend together this afternoon. I told them if they came over to visit, they'd probably hear a rerun, but the singing will be good. And uh, the singing has been great, and I appreciate so much the, the effort in, of the song leaders and, uh, and, and hope that we've all been blessed and uh, hope that by our study this afternoon, we can be strengthened in our walk and uh, renewed in our faith and uh, in our courage in serving the Lord. This afternoon, for a little while, I'd like for us to consider the challenge of discipleship. Let me get this light right here. Yesterday evening, Brother James spoke to us about the gospel and appreciate so much the message. You can never hear too much about the gospel. For those of you that haven't obeyed the gospel, that have heard the message, this is another opportunity for you to consider your standing before God and what, uh, what has been laid out before you from the scriptures. Those of us that have obeyed the gospel and have been Christians for some time, it's, it's good for us to hear the gospel again so that we can remember what it was that we first trusted in, what we put our faith in, because a lot of times we, uh, we tend to start out one way, but then as life goes on, we tend to veer off in a different direction, as it was with the Galatians when Paul asked them, you know, have you begun in the Spirit? Are you now made perfect by the flesh? And so it helps us to understand where our trust and where our faith needs to be. And our trust and our faith needs to be in the very same place it was when we walked into the water and walked out of the water. Regardless of whether we've been a Christian for three weeks or for 30 years. It's all about Jesus and we appreciate the message. Whenever we obey the gospel, then we're faced with the challenge of discipleship. It's not enough just to become a Christian but rather we're called to be disciples. And this afternoon I want us to look at a little while the challenge of discipleship as it was presented by Jesus to the multitudes of His day. You know, whenever we look at the language that Jesus used a lot of times or in the language that we use today, if you were to tell somebody, uh, you know, I'm a Christian, well, what does that mean? We all have our different ideas or the world seems to have the different idea of what it means to be a Christian. But whenever Jesus talked about people that followed after Him, a word that He used predominantly was the word disciple. And the word disciple is very definitive and outlines for us ex the exact expectation. Now Jesus used other words to denote people that followed after Him. And the apostles, they used other words to, to denote uh, our relationship with God. But this evening, we want to talk about what it means to be a disciple and what it means or, or to accept the challenge of discipleship. First thing we want to do is define what it means to be a disciple. Let me step down here. The word disciple comes from this Greek word, which means a learner or a pupil. And it comes from this word, which means to learn in any way. So whenever we talk about being a disciple, what we're talking about is being a learner. Being a learner. You know, a lot of in education, I come from an education background, and the big push today is to be a lifelong learner. 
In other words, your education doesn't stop whenever you get a sheet of paper. But rather, your education is to continue and you are to always be motivated to learn. And that's what it means to be a disciple is that we're learners. And we learn with the intent of following. We don't just learn uh, for academic reasons. We don't just learn for intellectual reasons, although that is included. But what we ultimately want to do is to learn to follow, to learn to do. And that's what a disciple is, someone who learns to follow. Jesus in his invitation in Matthew chapter 11 told them to come unto me, all ye that are heavy, are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So that's what a disciple is. We're learners of Jesus. We're learners from Him. And we're learning from Him with the intent to follow after Him and to do as He does, but more importantly, to be as He is. See, being a disciple is not just doing what Jesus says. Clint can tell me a bunch of things to do and I can do everything that he tells me to do, but that doesn't mean that I'm like him. But to be a disciple means that I'm going to not only do as Jesus did, but I'm going to be as Jesus. And I'm going to be so much like Jesus that whenever people look at me, they're going to treat me and they're going to treat you like they would Jesus. Jesus says that the goal of discipleship is to be like Jesus. In Luke 6 verse 40, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. To be like Jesus. And we are so much like Jesus that we're going to be viewed like Jesus. We're going to be treated like Jesus. In Matthew 10, 24 and 25, again he says in verse 25, it's enough for a disciple to be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they've called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? And so Jesus says, if they're calling me Beelzebub, then expect them to call you the same thing. Why? Because you're supposed to be just like me. Jesus said, if they hate me, well, expect them to hate you. Because if you're a disciple, they're going to treat you the way that they treat me. Because if you're a disciple, you're going to be just like me. And that's the challenge of discipleship, is to be like Jesus in every way. And so what we want to talk about this afternoon are some of the challenges of discipleship that whenever we hear the words of Jesus, hopefully we will be, as was prayed in our prayer, very sober-hearted. Because I tell you, whenever you study certain lessons, sometimes there are some lessons you enjoy studying, and there are some lessons that you just probably don't want to do this. <laughs> because the whole time you're studying it, you're convicting yourself. That's the last thing that we want to do, is whenever we get up before a crowd, is to preach a lesson that we don't feel like we're qualified to preach which that happens a lot. but And you read and you study about what it means to be a disciple and you read and study what Jesus said specifically about discipleship and it should make us uncomfortable because it is a challenge. But it's a challenge that we're called to. And if we're called to it, then we need to have the faith that God is going to equip us in Christ Jesus to give us everything that we need 
to meet the challenge. The first thing I want to notice in Luke chapter 14, and we're going to spend the remainder of our time there, is the setting. It says, Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them. Whenever Jesus was walking about the country, doing his work, there was a great multitude that followed him. And I think that this was a time in Jesus' ministry when he felt like, hey, it's time to get real with these people. They had seen his miracles and so the multitudes was following him because of the signs and the works that he did. And it came to a point now to where I think Jesus is about ready to lay it out before the people and to let them know what following him is all about. So there was a great multitude following Jesus and the message that Jesus is about to preach is not a message that was conducive to maintaining the multitude. You know, if there was a great multitude following, it would have been real easy for Jesus saying, if y'all want to follow me and come after me, it's going to be so exciting. Or if you want to follow after me, get ready for a celebration. If you want to come after me, you need to be ready for your best life now. And just have people just, oh wow, this is great. And you know in a lot of uh, religious advertisements, churches and things like that, those are words that you see a lot. Excitement. Celebration. Prosperity. Oh, who wouldn't want to follow Jesus? If that's the way that it is. But that's not what Jesus said. In fact, I'm sure that whenever Jesus opened up His mouth and began to teach the message that we're going to talk about, there were people in the crowd looking at each other. What? Are you, are you, are you real? You expect me to do that? And so the message was going to be something that was hard and challenging. That's why at the very end of the message, Jesus says, I keep hitting that wrong button, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Because it was going to be a hard message. It was going to be a difficult message. Whenever Jesus makes this statement, He makes it at the end of several parables and other discourses, that there was going to be some challenge to the message. Either a challenge in understanding the message, or a challenge to just sit and listen to it, and understand the gravity, and not just say, I can't take this anymore, I can't listen to this, and then just walk off. And so we want to have ears today. We want to hear what Jesus has to say about the challenge of discipleship. And so here's this multitude. Jesus is standing before them. And the first thing that Jesus says to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Stop for just a moment. You've been walking around and you've been following Jesus and you've been seeing all the multitudes and all of the works that He's done and then all of a sudden He steps up and says, if you want to follow me, you've got to hate the people that you love the most in your life and love me more. You see, Jesus says that you have to love and choose Him over family and self. Are you ready to do that? Do you do that? Do I do that? 
We understand that whenever Jesus said to hate, that he wasn't saying hate in the sense of we detest and abhor our family. But he's speaking of it in a matter of priority. In Matthew's account, Matthew 10, 37, Jesus says, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Do you love Jesus more than your family? Do you love Jesus more than your spouse? Do you love Jesus more than your kids? Here's the kicker. Do you love Jesus more than your grandkids? (laughs) Think about that for just a moment. That the essence of denying oneself is loving Jesus more than anything else. And what is it that we love the most in this world? It's our family and ourselves. And Jesus says, you've got to love me more. Now to me, (laughs) and to you, and to that crowd, just imagine sitting there hearing that. And you're thinking about, hey, do I want to follow this? Do I want to follow this man, Jesus? And you know what? Even though he did all of those miracles and all of those signs and all of those wonders, if he tells me I've got to love him more than I do my family, that's tough. That's tough. But that's what we're called to do. To look at your spouse and to tell your spouse, Honey, I love someone more than you. To look at your kids and say, Son, daughter, I love someone more than you. To look at your grandkids and say, I love someone more than you. Now whenever Jesus made this statement, He wasn't saying that we need to neglect our family. (laughs) He's not saying that. In fact, if we're true disciples of Jesus, my discipleship of Jesus by loving Jesus more than my family is actually going to enrich my family. Because I'm not loving them for them, I'm loving them for Jesus. I want my wife to love me because she loves Jesus more. Because Jesus gives her a lot more reasons to love me than I could ever give her to love me. And so whenever we look at loving Jesus more, we have to be willing to make that choice. And sometimes that choice is difficult where you've got family on one hand and you've got Christ on the other and if I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus, I've got to say Jesus wins. If my family tells me if you're going to ascribe to the Christian faith, you can no longer be a part of this family. I've got to be willing to say, see you later. See you later. And if we have a loved one that chooses not to follow after Jesus, See you later. But what has to be understood is that in my life, Jesus is loved and revered more than the most sacred relationships in this world. Even myself. Now Jesus even said, don't think that I come to bring peace, but understand that there could be a time when a man's enemies will be those of his own household. And that happens a lot. Maybe there's some here today that have sacrificed family relationships to follow after Jesus. God bless you. And God will give you a reward for that. 
I've been very blessed in growing up in a home where the faith was mutual. But I know that that's not the case in every circumstance. That some people have to make hard decisions. There are some people that are held back from obeying the gospel because of family that's even in the grave. As if to say, well, if I believe this, then I'm going to say that everything that my mom and my daddy taught me over the years is wrong. Well, if you love Jesus more than them, that's what you've got to do. And that's what I've got to do. And so that's why we refer to this as the challenge of discipleship. Following Jesus is not easy. And sometimes we want to make the Christian life sound like, well, if you do it right, it's all going to be butterflies and roses. No, if you do it right, it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. And anyone that tries to teach us that a service to Jesus is something that's going to take away all of your problems, don't believe that. Because sometimes your service to Jesus and my service to Jesus can bring on a whole new set of problems that I didn't have before. Do you love Jesus more than your family? Do you love Jesus more than yourself? That's the challenge. And again, that's a very sober thing to think about. <clears throat> the next thing Jesus says, as if the first thing wasn't shocking enough, <laughs> then He says, and whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. In other words, you've got to choose the sufferings of following Jesus. Mm. So now, I've got to hate my family or love them less than Jesus. And now you're telling me to take up a cross. You know, whenever we hear that statement, it doesn't have the impact on us that it did on those people back then. You see, the cross today, we've sanitized it. It's something that we'll hang on the wall. It's a representation of faith in Jesus Christ and it's come to be a symbol of His love and His mercy. We'll wear it around our neck. But whenever these people heard it, they didn't hear love and grace and mercy, but rather the cross to them represented the attending sufferings accompanying the choice of Jesus Christ. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus uses the words to take it up, to willingly pick it up. You choose that. I choose that. The cross was an instrument of capital punishment, public shame, and disgrace. If you were walking down the street carrying a cross, people back then didn't look at you and say, oh, there goes a real religious person. People said, there goes a criminal. There goes a terrible person. And Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, you need to pick that up. It would be like today if someone were to teach about following them and they said, if you want to follow me, go get your hangman's noose. If you want to follow me, go pick you out an electric chair. If you want to follow me, go, go, go pick you out a firing squad. You're thinking, why, why, why would that be? Because Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, it could result 
in your death. It could result in your death. In other words, if you're going to follow me, then I need to be something and someone that you would be willing to die for. Amen. <laughs> and so again, these people are taken back by this. <clears throat> Think about it for just a moment. Why would I want to do that? Why would I want to love Jesus more than my family? And why would I want to pick up something and carry that represents death and reproach and shame? Well, Jesus gives them some reasons. He goes on to say in verse number 25, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. You know, it doesn't make sense for me to love somebody more than my family. It doesn't make sense for me to want to choose to suffer for somebody. Well, it does when you listen to the reasons of Jesus. You see, when Jesus was resurrected from the grave, He showed to us that there's life after this. This isn't all there is. And so Jesus, in reasoning with the people, lets them know there's going to be another life after this, and here's your choice. You can either save your life now and lose it in eternity, or you can choose to suffer right now. You can choose to love me more than your family right now and find your life in eternity. Where would you want to find your life? Here or in eternity? So, well, when you put it that way, it does sound reasonable. Or... What's a man profit if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Consider the value of your soul. If you choose not to follow me and you choose to amass all of the wealth and all of the pleasure that is in this world and then one day you're dead, what do you got? What do you got? Don't have anything. You're going to be walking into judgment. And you're going to be standing before the Lord. And all that that you acquired before is of no value. And how many of us today really would expect to gain the whole world? And the flip side of this is that whenever we go to heaven, it's going to be better than if we had everything in this world we wanted. And the third point, the Son of Man shall come in the glory of His Father with His angels and He shall reward every man according to works. Jesus is going to judge you. <clears throat> One day, you're going to stand and I'm going to stand before Jesus. And I'm going to have to answer and you're going to have to answer for that decision. And the one that we're answering to holds within his hand the power of our eternal destiny. Now given those three facts, yeah, maybe loving Jesus more than my family is the thing to do. Yeah, 
Maybe picking up a cross and suffering for Jesus is the thing to do. Because I don't want to stand before Him and say, Lord, I rejected you. You know, it's hard to reject people. Well, for some people it's not, but for some of us it's hard to say, you're not chosen. You're not chosen. But to stand before someone that gave you every reason to choose Him, and the one that you're standing before and I'm standing for, that has the power of our eternity in their hand, I don't want to say, I rejected you. So even though Jesus asked us to do some seemingly outlandish things, love Him more than my family, choose to suffer and bear a cross, it's all reasonable now. It's all reasonable now. In verses 28 to 33, as Jesus talks about counting the cost, He says in verse 28, For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and he wasn't able to finish it. Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he's able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000 or else... While the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Now in this illustration, in this analogy, metaphor, whatever you want to call it, Jesus, he's talking about counting the cost. But he uses two types of individuals here that teach to me another lesson about discipleship. And that is that our discipleship needs to be purposeful and intentional. Why are you the disciple of Jesus? Well, I want to go to hell. Well, (laughs) that's a good reason, but... You know, there's a time when that's not going to be good enough. There's going to be a time when you're going to grow weary of that reason. And you're going to be able to put that out of your mind. Because... That just seems so far off to be concerned with right now. Jesus talks about a builder. He likens being a disciple to a builder. And He also likens a disciple to being a king who's about to go to war. In both of those instances, we see people who are very intentional and very purposeful about what they're doing. They don't make decisions lightly and they realize once the decision is made, you have to be committed to the decision. How many of you, whenever you built a house, were sitting around one day, hey, let's build a house. Oh, that's a good idea. Let's go build a house. You didn't do that, did you? You thought about it. You planned You counted the cost. You consulted people because you knew this was a decision of great import in your life. You know, how many leaders do you know? Let's go fight a war. That's a good idea. There's people over here. Let's go over and get them. No. 
There has to be meaning, there has to be purpose, there has to be intention, and you're looking at all of the strategies and you're weighing the cost, being purposeful and intentional. And we have to be that way with our Christian life, in being a disciple of the Lord. Don't just be a disciple because, well, that's what disciples do. (laughs) But understand why you want to be a disciple. Understand why I want to be a disciple. And understand the cost that's associated with it. And make sober decisions about it. You know, sometimes I fear that whenever we make the decision to follow Christ, that we make the decision out of emotion. And emotion is involved. But a decision based upon emotion generally leads to a fizzling out somewhere along the way. But understanding commitment. If a couple came to you and said, we want to get married. Oh, you do? Well, okay. Why do you want to get Well, we were out the other day and we were in the field and the butterflies were flying around and the flowers were blooming. And it was springtime and I looked at her and she looked at me and we were just overcome with emotion and I said, I want to marry you. And she said, okay, let's get married. What would you say? Oh, that's great. Congratulations. No, you wouldn't say that. No, whoa, wait a minute. You'd say, all right, let's put on our square wheels here for just a moment. Let's talk about this. And then what would you proceed to do? You would probably proceed to let them know about the realities of marriage and the realities of life. And what is it that we say whenever we talk about uh, in marriage? It's something to be entered into discreetly and wisely and prudently and with judgment. You've got to understand the commitment. And that's what we're talking about here. And sometimes we prey on people's emotions. And I'm not saying that emotions are not involved. As James talked about last night, you need to feel fear if you're not a Christian. You need to feel that. But we also want to understand the gravity of our decision and understand the commitment that we're making. And I know that I didn't understand the commitment when I obeyed the gospel till later on in life. When I had to really sit down and stop and think, okay, is this something I want to do? Is this something that I want to do? Is this the cost that I want to pay? You see, to be a builder, we need to be for something. Being a disciple, you've got to be for something. You've got to be, be a builder. Build. As a disciple, what are you building tonight, today? My obedience to Jesus right now, in my obedience, I'm building this. What are you building? Well, I want to I build up the kingdom of Jesus. I want to build up my congregation. I want to build up my family. And I want to focus my discipleship and know that my discipleship, while it has eternal blessing, also has blessing in this life. So be for something. As a disciple, be a fighter. Be against something. Be against something. As that person that's going, what are you against? What's the enemy out there? What enemy is out there that necessitates for you and me to follow Jesus? That if I don't follow Jesus, that enemy is going to conquer me. You see, those are reasons to follow Jesus. 
So be for or against something worth dying for. Is Jesus worth dying for? Amen. That's what He said, take up His cross. And when He said to take up the cross, take up your cross, what did Jesus do with His cross? He died on it. So what are we going to do with our cross? You know, whenever Jesus said, take up your cross, the people in the crowd didn't think, oh, well, he's saying Christianity, being a disciple, is going to be a little inconvenient sometimes. That's not the message they got. Oh, well, he means if I'm a disciple, it's, it's, going, to, it's going to get rough. Everyone, no. When they heard, take up the cross, they knew exactly what he meant. You'd be willing to die. You'd be willing to suffer Be for or against something worth dying for. To me, my family is worth dying for. My family is worth dying for. So I want to be a disciple that's going to build up my family. That my love for Jesus above them is going to bless them. My church family. The kingdom of God. Because if it's not worth dying for, it's not worth living for. It's not worth dying for. It's not worth living for. You see, these are high stakes that Jesus is placing before that multitude. These are high stakes that Jesus is placing before us today. And then the last part. Jesus says salt is good, but if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It's neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill, but men throw it out. Be a flavorful disciple. I want my discipleship to add flavor to the world. I want my discipleship to add flavor to the people that are in my circle of influence. <clears throat> in fact, whenever you look at the word flavor in Luke 14.34, it comes from a Greek word which means to be foolish. To be foolish. In other words, if I'm not living according to the wisdom of Jesus, if I'm not a disciple of Jesus, if I'm not walking after Jesus, if I'm not being like Jesus, then I'm flavorless salt. And Jesus doesn't give a very high commendation here to flavorless salt. I mean, if you're not good enough to even be thrown on a dunghill. That's the challenge of discipleship. I want my discipleship to influence people. Not because it's me, but because I love Jesus more than everything else. And if you love Jesus more than everything else, people in your world will be flavored and blessed by you. Amen. But if I don't love Jesus more than anything, everything else, then I'm just going to be... One of many that passes through with no real meaningful and purposeful impact. So our discipleship should be meaningful and purposeful and impactful in the world around us. <clears throat> so in conclusion, the challenge of being a disciple in our country and our time is very real. And this is what I want to really zero in on. You know, these things that we're reading, you know, loving my family, Jesus more than my family and picking up a cross and following after Jesus. You know, really I've never been faced with 
that hard, momentous decision where I had to make that hard decision. And it wasn't a, and I'm not talking about just a decision that I can make in secret, but a decision that whenever I make the decision, my family feels it. I feel it. The people around me feel it. You know, I can have a conflict in my schedule. Or, you know, okay, uh, you know, uh, you know, go go to the meeting at Alma, or or stay home and be at my wife. You know, and so you know, I say, well, honey, I'm going to go to Alma. You know, and so I go. You know, I chose Jesus over my wife. I'm not talking about that kind of decision. I'm talking about a decision that would be momentous and impactful. And in our country, we don't face a lot of those. And so because we don't face a lot of those, it's kind of easy in our country to kind of slide by as a disciple. And that's what scares me. That's what scares me about myself. Is that I can be deceived into thinking that I'm a genuine disciple when I'm really not. You see, we are in constant danger of the Laodicean effect. You know, I noticed over here on the board, persecuted country, India. You know what? I hope there's a group of Christians over in India that says, comforted country, USA. And that they're praying just as hard for us over here as we're praying for them over there. Because our peril over here is just as great. You know, again, I... We know we need to pray for you know, our, our brothers in Nigeria and India that are going through all of these hard times. Folks, comfort, comfort is just as dangerous, if not more dangerous. Where I can sit back in my discipleship, it's really not challenged. So I can convince myself I'm a disciple when I'm really not. But when I have to get up every day and make the decision, okay, am I going to walk through this city with a Bible under my arm, knowing that the government is opposed to me, knowing that there's people that are going to threaten me, knowing that there's people that are going to, that could take my life? You, you can't fake that. You can't fake that. But we can here. You see, when you look at Smyrna and Philadelphia, two of the seven churches of Asia... You know, we know the pattern with how that the, how that the Lord He commended them, and then there was some condemnation. These two churches, they only received commendation. And one thing that you can notice about both of these churches it, that only received commendation is that there seems to be an indication that they suffered some hardship, that they suffered some persecution. Because as the angel is writing to the church, he talks about their trial. He talks about their tribulation. He talks about their perseverance and their patience. What about the two churches that received condemnation but no commendation? Sardis and Laodicea. You know, when you read about them, there's really no indication that they had persecution and challenge in their time. Sardis... You have a name that you live, but you're dead. Well, how can you live? How can you, how can you think you're alive when you're really dead? Because there's nothing there to challenge you. I can just think that. I can just think that. Laodicea. 
You say that you're rich and you're increased with goods and you have need of nothing, but really you're poor, you're blind, you're naked, you're wretched. How can somebody think that? It's never challenged. I can deceive myself into thinking that. And that's what's scary about being a disciple in this country. As blessed as we are in this country, we have to be careful. We have to be careful of our blessings and comforts lest we allow ourselves to be deceived that I love Jesus more than my family. I love Jesus more than everything. I'm willing to suffer and die for Jesus. I'm willing to take up my cross. That's real easy to say if I'm not expecting somebody to meet me out there and challenge me. Well, then how can I know if I'm willing to die for Jesus? It's real easy. Are you willing to live for Him? If I want to know, well, what would I do in that moment? Well, what are you doing with the moments? And what am I doing with the moments that we have? To love and serve one another. If I'm not loving and serving my brothers and sisters, why should I think that I would die for Jesus? Why would I think I can say no here and then I can say yes over here? It, just, it, it doesn't work that way. And that's what Jesus said in John chapter 13. This is how the world will know that you're my disciples, that you love one another even as I have loved you. And if that's the way that the world knows that we're His disciples, maybe that can give me a clue as to whether I'm His disciple or not by whether I love you and I serve you. The question is not so much, am I willing to die for Jesus? Am I willing to live for Jesus today? Does my life show that I love and choose Jesus over my family and myself? Does my life show that I choose the sufferings of following Jesus? In my discipleship, am I purposeful and intentional? Am I a flavorful disciple? <clears throat> so I hope as we look at the challenge of discipleship that you're not discouraged by it. I'll be honest with you, when I was studying this and looking at my, I got pretty discouraged. I got pretty discouraged. And I just thought, I think I'll shelf this for a little while. And even pulling it back out and studying it again for this meeting, it, it, it's just sobering and, and, and to look at this. But let's don't allow our comforts to cause us not to be the disciples of Jesus that we ought to be. We can serve God in a comfortable country just like people can serve God in a persecuted country. But just like there's danger and peril in persecution, there's danger and peril in comfort. In thinking and deceiving myself that I'm a disciple of Jesus when I'm really not. I'll leave the lesson with you. <clears throat> now, the picture that I have up here, <clears throat> I... Uh, looking for a type-in disciple in, in, in Google and tried to come up with some images. And all of the images were real pretty for some reason. You had these people sitting in quiet meditation out in a field of flowers. You had these people walking through the wilderness. and everything. You know, it looked like a hiking trip. That's not what discipleship looks like. That's what discipleship looks like right there. That's what it looks like. 
And so let's have a true picture of discipleship. Let's commit ourselves to being disciples. If you're here today and you're not a Christian and you're thinking about becoming a disciple, it's worth it. It's worth it. If you're here today and you are a Christian and you look at your discipleship and you think that you haven't met that challenge and you want to renew your commitment to that discipleship, the congregation here stands ready to help you as we stand and say. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. To receive new sermons, subscribe to our iTunes podcast and check our website at www.almachurchofchrist.com and like us on Facebook. Thanks for listening and may God bless you.